come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm Magenta. <laughs> Are we sticking with that? I'm your polter guide. Oh, what is my name? Adrian. I legitimately had a moment there where I was like, do I do Connor or Adrian? I'm so confused now. You all have confused me about my name. Uh, and this week we have watched the 1975. It is a cold classic, but honestly, it's just a classic Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I did not realize until uh, this morning that as of today's recording, it is the 46th anniversary of Rocky Horror when it was released for the first time in the U.S. I didn't know that either. Happy birthday. Yep. <laughs> yeah. In L.A., it's got like four releases or something. So I was like, I knew the year was right. But so, yeah, we're, we're starting off our spooky season with a bang with Rocky Horror. So let's go around, even though we all know each other's answer. Did you like it? Mm-hmm. Did you not like it? Was this your first time? Et cetera, et cetera. This movie was such an important part of my late teens, early adulthood. I mean, I lived this movie. I dressed up as magenta for most of my um, viewings. I was up at the front of the theater being magenta. I've got a scar on my left calf from where me and my riffraff were absurdly drunk and I fell going down the steps. It was the uh, scene after we had undressed Brad and Janet and were walking hand in hand, and I slipped and removed a good chunk of skin off my shin, and that scar is still there. (laughs) uh, Anyway, yes, I love this movie. It's part of my life. Adrian. Um, nah, I didn't really like it. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, I I love horror movies and I love musicals. Um, so yeah, this is I this movie is probably why, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, aside from, you know, watching Disney movies and horror movies when I was a kid, this was for a long time the only horror musical that I knew about. Um so yeah, I think I, I, I love this movie. Also, it's kind of a gender nonconformist. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this movie kind of marries both of your answers together. I love this movie. I've loved this movie since I first saw it. And definitely very important to me in my formative years. And yeah, it's it's amazing and it's great. So this will be a lot of gushing if you guys can't tell on this episode, which that's fine. That's we're always a fan of that. Be a nice change of pace for me. <laughs> no, we just know it's something super special <laughs> when you and I are on the same page with it. We know then that it is it is super special. And when all three of us agree, wow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, do you guys want to talk about your first times seeing Rocky Horror? Hell yeah. Yeah, actually, I would love to because, um, you know, I've mentioned I grew up in a Southern Baptist household. 
Can I just say for all of our listeners out there that what Donna just did was surreptitiously glance over her shoulder to make sure her father wasn't in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes he sneaks in and I don't know what he's there. Um, (laughs) uh, So I grew up Southern Baptist and somewhere along the lines, my mom had picked up that uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was, uh, and it's really weird because I feel like just in reality, Rocky Horror Picture Show would be, what's the word I'm looking for? Transgressive. Thank you. Transgressive enough that she would have disliked it just for what it is. But she had picked up some stuff that really wasn't particularly part of the Rocky Horror experience that she believed was part of it. So I actually didn't get to see them until quite a bit later than I really wanted to. So my first experience with Rocky Horror was the soundtrack. And I don't know, man, I had come up with a completely different, the, the plot that I thought was Rocky Horror was not at all the plot of Rocky Horror. Uh, I thought it had to do with them being transported to this planet very early in the movie. Um, but that's beside the point. So my experience with Rocky Horror had to do with me constructing a plot based on the soundtrack. Um, and then finally, I, I reached an age where I had finally learned to stop asking for permission and start, you know, it was it was when I finally learned the construction of may I do this and start saying I am going to do this that I finally got to go see Rocky Horror. And that's when I was like, oh, this is an entirely different movie than I thought it was. Um, I had a very similar experience with um, Repo, the genetic opera. I got the soundtrack before I saw the movie and they actually put the songs on the soundtrack in a different order than they are in the movie. And so, yeah, I had a completely different narrative for that movie than, than is actually there. As it happened, I still very much loved Rocky Horror. It just, you know, was a different movie. And I was hooked and I have remained hooked. And there you go. I, my mother, as I think I've said on this podcast before, did not believe in censorship and was a big fan of horror movies. My earliest memory with my mom is watching either Christine or Night of the Comet. I can't remember which one. I'm pretty sure it was Christine. Why haven't we done Night of the Comet? I have a long-standing fear of slugs that I attribute to Night of the Comet. <laughs> but I think I was five when she just one day was like, you know what? It's time for you to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And so we did. And I loved it. I, I loved it so much. Uh, my mom has also spent the last few years trying to teach my kid the time warp. So uh, I don't really know if she's seen it all the way through yet or not, <laughs> but I, I have, I have a need to see do the time warp. I know. Right. I think it's going to be really cute. And I am t- completely for my mother's endeavor here. <laughs> also really, really loves listening to the songs from it. She really, really enjoys it. I, I've never gone to see it live um or really in any big group of people at all i've i like i've legitimately only ever seen this movie watching it like a movie (laughs) like a normal fucking movie um and part of that is because in high school i like for a long time i was the only person that knew that i knew 
who knew what this movie was. And then in high school, suddenly other people started knowing about it. And I was really excited. And then I heard about all of the things that would happen at live showings. Like if you'd never been before, how they'd like call you a virgin and drag you up. And high school me was like, oh, that's not a thing I want to do. I will never go to one of these. And, uh, and, and, you know, I never changed my mind about that. So I've never been to a live showing. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, this movie has just been a part of my life for ever. <laughs> I was really excited when the internet became a thing and I could look up facts about this movie. Speaking of which, I just learned one just now that I didn't know. And that is that Peter Hinwood doesn't speak at all in the movie or sing. I did not know that they overdubbed every sound he made with um, the Australian singer Trevor White. I did not know that either. And that's funny because Billy and I literally had a discussion as we were watching it on Friday about that. And I said, no, that's him. That's totally him. And he's like, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. Like I was like very passionate and very for sure. So that is really funny. I knew that. You're welcome, Billy. (laughs) I knew that wasn't his singing voice. I don't think I knew that wasn't his grunts. I did know that he hated the experience enough that he's never acted again. I have questions about that. I wanted because I know that for a while there were several people in this movie that didn't like the experience. I seem to recall that when I originally read some of the stuff that Barry Boswick wasn't into it either. Like, and I'm talking, I'm talking like 20 fucking years ago when I read this information. Um, so that might have changed, but I want to know how far and like, like at what point, how do you read the script? How do you get through the audition process of this movie and, and not think, Hmm, is this something that I want to do? And then like, and I, I I was watching it knowing that he hated that. Like he used to own a store. Right. And he would like throw people out of his shop for mentioning it. And so I'm like, how do you do the, like, like I saw him do the floor show. He did a good job. Like he did an okay job. When did I think my, my thing with him, I think the filming conditions, cause uh, they all got pneumonia. Yeah, I know that I read that. uh, So I think that is some of it because now, like at conventions, he'll fucking sign a pair of tidy whities and he's all for it. So very Bostwick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, I think enough time has passed. And I think that I think anyone associated with certain films, they all go through a phase of, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to do that. Mark Hamill is a perfect example of that. Like, nope, I'm not. Luke Skywalker I'm you know I'm doing this I'm doing that and then he's come full circle like fuck yeah I'm Luke Skywalker what do you I'm gonna hold baby Yoda here let me let me do that I'm Luke Skywalker and everything I say is canon yeah fuck you Luke and, uh, you. <laughs> yeah you know Shatner who's still an asshole let's be honest Shatner's still an asshole but uh you know Shatner went through a, a phase well so did Nimoy you know yeah true Shatner was, I'm a serious actor, and then came came around to it. So. Like, okay, yeah. Uh, before we go too far, I was in seventh grade. It had just come out to VHS, and I remember they made such a big deal about it coming out to VHS because it was only a theater experience. Oh, wait, connections have been made. Maybe that's why my mom was suddenly like, it's time to watch this movie. 
Yeah, like it was a a huge deal. It was for it was 1990, so it had been the I can't math, gang. I'm sorry. 15th anniversary, and so it came out to VHS, and my uncle Kevin was in uh, from Oklahoma City, and he rented it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, we're watching this. This is you will love this. We're watching it," and I don't think we made it all the way through because one of my aunts, when it got to Frank and Brad in bed together. This was, of course, like bride of like light of day. Now, keep in mind, my mother did not give a shit. She was like, yeah, we're going to fucking watch rock. You want to watch that? That's fine. Because both my parents, Adrian, also subscribe to the we'll see. Watch what you want to watch. You know what? It's not hurting anybody. Mindset. So I didn't finish it then, but I became obsessed with it and I got the soundtrack. And then a few weeks later, I finally saw the whole thing and just was like I said, obsessed with it. And I made sure to then in true Kinsey fashion to get all my other friends obsessed with it. So that became a slumber party staple. And yeah, then I got the audience participation soundtrack, which I learned things from listening to that seventh grade Kinsey did not know about exactly, but I learned a lot from listening to the audience participation on my little headphones uh, going to to games and stuff like that so let me tell you when i had when the internet happened and i was able to look up the audience participation stuff oh. online i was like oh oh, oh. faces down oh ah <laughs> i am really sad for you not experiencing the full-on audience participation because it is glorious you know what? Here's the thing. Get me into a showing where I don't have to be pulled up as a virgin and I will happily go. I honestly never. Now I saw because my then boyfriend was a virgin and I saw plenty of people getting pointed at and yelled at, but I never saw anyone pulled up to the front. And I always thought the virgin thing was like virgin completely to Rocky Horror, not the audience experience. That's how I always took the virgin experience was you have never you've never been here you've never you know you don't know what this is your friend drug you so yeah we're putting you we're bringing you on stage i could be wrong but i'm just telling you you know the boy that really wanted to take me to go see rocky horror was a complete dirtbag and so it's possible that the things that he was telling me were just bad um but it did, it did, it did make me terrified to go to a live showing forever. <laughs> I have also never been to a live showing. I've done the audience, the, uh, you know, the audience participation thing with a group of friends, ironically enough, uh, my peer helper group of <laughs> 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 uh, throwing the rice and all of that. Uh, they didn't know what to yell out back. So that's just, that was just me doing that. Uh, I've also dressed like Donna. I've dressed as magenta quite a bit. I did that junior year in high school. I was magenta junior and senior year. When I worked the haunted house and had to be in costume, I was magenta. So I'm climbing up and down magenta platform heels. That may have been the last time I've worn high heels in my life. Now that you meant. I, yeah, I did that for like three nights straight, almost six hours up and down stairs. And those funny enough, when my mom was helping me get ready for Halloween that year as magenta I had it playing because I needed her help to do my red hair and she goes oh your dad and I saw that at the drive-in I'm like what the fuck 
she goes yeah we saw that in the drive-in at college and i was she's like it was weird as hell i'm like yeah it is <laughs> and it, so yeah in 11th grade me also learned a new thing it's like well i told you all about this movie you've seen the poster up in my room and this pause this little screen grab during the time warp is what made you remember you saw this in college at at the drive-in when i was in high school i had a picture of frank in um it was either his sweet transvestite costume or his um don't dream it be it costume and my mom would get so offended and she would complain that you could see his pubic hair and if you think about that outfit it's actually I would always, covering <laughs> it is and i would be like mom that's his leg hair you're seeing his leg hair she'd be like that's his pubic hair that's his leg hair and we, we argued about that on a nearly daily basis. It's ridiculous. Anyway, one of my favorite little bits of trivia about this movie, which I'm sure everybody who knows anything about this movie knows, which is that this movie was intended to kind of spoof a little bit on The Wizard of Oz. And it was supposed to be in black and white until the moment that Frank threw off his cloak in Sweet Transvestite. And at the moment he threw off his cloak, it was supposed to go in color. And I remember that. With his lips time. being in red. Yes. And so every time he throws off his cloak, I suddenly remember that. And I think about what those tuxes that all the munchkins, which I immediately think of them as, doing the time warp would have looked like in black and white. And it brings me such joy. <laughs> I mean, every time that moment hits, I suddenly go, oh, my God. <laughs> could, could you just imagine that moment, what that moment would have been like if that had happened? I don't know why they scrapped that idea, because it would have been awesome. I think it was budget constraints. Oh, all right. Plus, Columbia's outfit was so gorgeous, and it would be just a shame missing, missing the gold sequins during Time Warp. That's true. That's fair. So speaking of Nell Campbell, Adrian and I watched um, Shock Treatment, which is the sequel to Rocky Horror. I love Shock Treatment. Me too. It's so good. There's a lot of there's a lot of great things about Shock Treatment. One of my favorite things is that uh, Nell Campbell is in <laughs> Shock Treatment and she doesn't look a thing like Columbia. She looks zero like Columbia. But as soon as she opens her mouth, you're like, Oh fuck, that's Columbia. And it just it just amuses me. Also, Janet is a brunette alto, and I struggle with that. But um But it gets a pass because it's the main girl from Suspiria in my book, so I'm fine with that. And it's also where you learn that Richard O'Brien definitely, definitely has an incest kink. For sure. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Which is fine. I don't care have your kinks that's fine your kink is your kink when it comes to fiction do whatever the fuck you want man in fiction um so i feel like i there, there's so many things woven into this movie um and okay hold on let me start over i feel like a lot of times people get upset at me because i take things too seriously and i don't tend to like b movies right but the thing is is that i really do like i love rocky horror and I think that the difference for me between like not liking a movie and liking a movie is what does the movie have to say? 
are there any real moments in the movie? And I feel like that's one of the things that makes Rocky Horror so, so good is that we start off and we are being fucking ridiculous for like 90% of this goddamn movie. And then we get to the end with the floor show and there's like some real fucking things happening here. Like, like we have Tim Curry fucking crying and like, I kind of want to cry too. And then like, like the, the songs in the floor show make me feel empowered. <laughs> like, there's some there's some stuff happening and when he's singing about the the I'm going home song like there is an emotional thing there and all throughout the movie like there's information being communicated like um Frankenfurter has a pink triangle on almost all if not all of his costumes and then in and I know that I'm referencing another movie to bolster my point for this one but whatever and in shock treatment we have like the big bad of the show is the corporation and their logo is very very like swastika-esque and so like there's oh and then one of the things that I've thought about a few times and particularly in my last viewing of this is why the fuck isn't Frankenfurter at home now why doesn't he want to go back home like, is there a reason that he's wearing this triangle on his clothes? Like, what what's what's going on on Transylvania, guys? I I uh, this last viewing, I thought about something, um, and this is kind of going to range far afield, but stick with me. Um, you know, when we in the United States are taught our history, we're taught that the Puritans were fleeing religious persecution, but when you really kind of delve into it. They were being persecuted because they were fucking nuts. Okay. They were not these innocent little people who just wanted to practice their religion. They were, they were wackos. Okay. So they yeah. came, <laughs> they came, they came to this country. All right. And um, to, to be allowed to be wackos, um, which whatever, I will, I will drop that topic. Um, so I kind of wonder if, that's kind of what Frank was, is if he had come to Earth to be uh, a, a wacko. And which which then brings me kind of to my current adult understanding of the theme of the film, because don't dream it, be it. Hey, that is great. Uh, that is that is great. OK, but as the film builds this, just give yourself over to absolute pleasure. That's that's not really that's not really a way to live your life. Okay. Um, by all means, live your best life, but you, you can't just wallow in it. You know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta get up and take a shower and do a job and pay some bills. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta live a life. And, and I kind of, I kind of feel like as an adult, that's where, that's kind of the actual message we're getting from this film is by all means live your best life. But if you give yourself over to absolute pleasure, you're going to end up insects crawling in the dirt. And I would like to follow that up by again, bolstering Donna's point by referencing a different movie entirely in shock treatments. When they get, when they go back to Denton, 
Um, and we, we, we see throughout Rocky Horror that Janet has like bought into this. Like she is, she, she's on Rocky's side. She didn't fight it the way that um, Brad did. And so in shock treatment, she's a fucking bitch. She is. God. <laughs> um, she, she even has a song in shock treatment called me, me, me. And, and so, yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely right. Like, oh gosh, I just love this movie. <laughs> and, and much, and much like the theme in Rocky, me, me, me starts out. Okay. Hey, mm-hmm. I like me. I'm I'm good. I like me. And then it ends up at nothing else matters but me. And you're like, oh, whoa, 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 Janet. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah. Um, don't dream it, be it. Yes. Uh give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Well, slow down. Hold on. Hold on. Whoa. Um, and and like like Adrian says, uh, this movie's deep. I mean, it's ridiculous, it's absurd, it's weird and depending on where you're coming from in life a little off-putting but it's deep and it's got things to say and they're good things they are good things to say so um don't eat your friends that's one of them for instance don't eat your friends that's don't That that could have been our rule. <laughs> could have been our rule. Don't, I don't think we've friends. done that rule or version of that rule. <laughs> don't pick your friends. Don't pick your friends. Um, That's a line, Adrian. That people shout at the screen. Don't pick your friends. Don't pick your friends. All right, I'll remember that. Yeah. Um, I wish that I had internalized some of the messages of this movie more. Like on a regular fucking basis, I am shocked at how long it took me to figure out that I was bisexual or trans and especially when i think about how much i watched this movie like and i think that it just like (laughs) side note about me i honest to god just thought that everybody thought girls were pretty like that was just normal obviously people just think girls are pretty um and the ways that i felt about magenta um throughout my entire fucking life as one of my most enduring crushes ever uh, to this day, like, fuck, I hear Patricia Quinn's voice and I am over the moon. God. Um, anyway, I digress. I just, I don't think that I would be at all the person that I am if it were not for this movie, because so much of this movie is about, like Donna said, knowing who you, like, like being who you are and also like not being a dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody who's a dick gets kind of bummed out in this movie. <laughs> or dead yeah like like okay eddie he's in the movie for such a brief period of time but um eddie is important in so many ways like the way he treats columbia um god poor columbia okay (laughs) like like he blows her off consistently constantly blows her off like she she is just like Please love me. Please love me. And he is constantly taking. Are you her- talking about Eddie or are you talking about Frankenfurter? Eddie. I'm talking about Eddie. Okay. I'm talking about Meatloaf. He is okay. constantly grabbing her and putting her aside and putting her aside. And oh, you're right. Yeah. Is she's? I mean, she is like in his face. I mean, I'll, I'll give him that she's being a, a little clingy. I'll give him that. But still, he is constantly pushing her aside and talking about himself. There's no meeting in the middle with those two. So I'm not putting this entirely on Eddie. But, you know, he had somebody who was very into him and he was constantly just pushing her aside. Um, and he ended up dead. 
And I don't know, maybe if he had um, been a little more interested in the person who was into him. And then there was apparently a relationship between him and Frank. So maybe if he'd been a little more into Frank, that would have worked out. I don't think so. I Frank always struck me as a user. Well, user flighty a little bit, maybe just like looking for who who's who's going to be their next playmate. You know what I mean? Like just never being satisfied. So capricious. Yeah. Narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. Frank always struck me like that, that no one was ever you were never going to be Frank's number one. You would always be Frank's most important right now, but never what I mean, essentially what Columbia wanted. Well, I think what Frank wanted, I think what Frank enjoyed was the conquest. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, he seemed to really be into even Rocky, but then he fucks Rocky and then just leaves Mm -hmm. and doesn't really care about Rocky in any way other than when Rocky is caring about Janet. Yeah, he he wants he wants Rocky to be his mm-hmm. and only his, but he doesn't want to belong to Rocky. And I'm willing to bet that's probably what happened with Eddie. Eddie started looking at Columbia, and well, that's how we got him in the freezer. Okay, weird little just weird little side note. Mm-hmm. If my dead boyfriend was in the freezer, I don't know that I would get joyous and excited when the freezer opened. i'm just i'm just thinking if my dead boyfriend was in the freezer and the freezer opened my first reaction would not be i'd be like oh damn so how many watchings of this movie did you have before you realized that rocky had half of eddie's brain not many that depends on if that line was in the soundtrack or not. If that line was in the soundtrack, I knew it before I ever saw the movie. It was not in the soundtrack. Then yeah. probably a few. I don't know. I, I would like to let you guys know that I was um, Wednesday. Wednesday years old. <laughs> and a lot of that is because I think that's the first time I've ever watched the movie with subtitles on. So there were a lot of lines where I was like, Oh, that's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember when. I'm. I mean, it was. Yeah, it wasn't Wednesday. I'll just say that. But it was. It was earlyish. Um, I want to talk about how hard the music in this movie jams. I don't know if Richard O'Brien has made any money just writing rock and roll, but God damn, he writes good music. He really does. And like, it's not a fluke. Hot Patootie. Hot Patootie's so good. Good song. Oh my God, Sweet Transvestite. I could sing Sweet Transvestite at the top of my lungs for the rest of my life and be happy. Oh my God, there's a light. So gorgeous. Oh, I love I'm going home. Oh my God. Um, actually, I guess the name of that song is over at the Frankenstein place. And, and like, this isn't a fluke either because- all the songs in shock treatment are fucking bangers too. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. The Denton song in shock treatment still, I fucking love that song. Like it puts Dude. me, it puts me in such a good mood and it's like, I, I just, I love fucking singing it. Dude. Uh, fucking looking for trade and lullaby. I think we're on my like sex playlists for a long time. TMI. You're welcome. <laughs> I can say I'm sitting there like, yeah, both that song and that knowledge tracks. So yeah. I can. 
and see like little black dress fuck i would sing that one okay so let's for a moment talk about like i want to talk about richard o'brien and um how much he wants to wear dresses (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and, and, in like the best way i love this so much because little black dress really opens up with just him singing about how much he wants a little black dress and in I was a little boy ever since I was a little boy. And he has almost the exact same line in um, I'm going home when Frankenfurter is singing about Faye Ray. And I wanted to look just the same. And I just, Oh man. So when I was watching Rocky horror this time, and I'd never really done this before, but I sat down and I was like, can I imagine 1970 fucking five and, and seeing this in a movie for the first time because it's fucking bonkers. We don't even put the shit in movies today. And it's easy to say that a lot of this stuff seems tame, but it fucking doesn't like um, Frankenfurter and Rocky may not have kissed, but Oh my God, they were all the fuck over each other. Mm-hmm. It is so clear what they're going to do in a way that we like, even today movies relegate to subtext way way more and so just man the blatant ballsiness of this movie to me is incredible and so brave which sounded sarcastic but I did not mean it to and I think that's why you know kind of to go back to what we were talking about with this film I think that's why it has lasted as long as it it has is because of that bravery and just being you know Anyone that's felt different, like anyone that hasn't, you know, that's like, no, I know I'm, and I mean different, like, okay, I like certain things or I, you know, just not what would be this, the social norms. I guess maybe that's the word, I'm, the phrase I'm looking for. But anyone that has felt that way, there's parts of this movie that just speak to you, that just latch on and you're like, yeah. And I think that bravery that you're talking about and that ballsiness, I think that is one of its enduring gifts and why 46 years later we're having this conversation we're still having this conversation about this film and its importance and even shock treatment which i watched shock treatment the first time a couple years ago and i was so surprised at how on the nose it was with reality tv that that is a norm today like that blew me away dude re-watching shock treatment when I originally saw it, we were not in the today land, but rewatching, I was like, fuck, he is really ahead of his time here with this one. Like he nailed it so much. And I wish that attitudes had changed more. Like the fact that Rocky Horror is still as transgressive as it is, is a little bit of a bummer. The fact that the man song is still oh relevant God. today from shock treatment is a fucking big ass bummer. Yeah. Do we want to just kind of make a little parenthetical side comment about the Laverne Cox remake? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Did everyone watch it? Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. No. Kinda. You didn't watch it? I didn't have. No. <laughs> I. Um, oh. I didn't have CBS. I don't have TV. And you could only watch it on CBS. Oh. oh. I am sad about that. 
I think I did go and specifically look up Adam Lambert's hot patootie because I felt like that'd be amazing. And I was not disappointed. You were not disappointed. No, that was the best part of it. TVH. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Adore Laverne Cox. I think, however, in her effort to do something different from Tim Curry, um, she just didn't have the same energy and all in all, it was kind of a dismiss in my opinion i did enjoy that she came out on king kong's hand i did enjoy that mainly just because of the fey ray line but i really did like that what i've noticed now with rocky horror and the laverne cox version as well as when glee did rocky horror they try to i don't want to say clean it up but there's a there's a scrubbing like it's a little too poppy there's there's something missing i i can't put my finger on it if rocky horror doesn't make you go oh oh you know it's not doing its job it 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 needs it needs to make you go oh it's a little too clean cut and i'm not you know like i said and i agree with you laverne cox she did the best that she could with what she was given adam lambert's hot patootie was amazing but everything else was kind of eh. and the same thing when they when glee did it, it was like eh. I do want to talk about the Glee version real quick because, um, man, I was really into Glee for a hot minute. Oh, no, same. And let me tell you, it's not a good show. It's it's objectively bad, I would say. I think it started out good. And then, I don't know, I feel like Ryan Murphy starts these projects and then loses interest. Yeah. Ryan Murphy is Frankenfurter. Whatever his new- <laughs> <laughs> Whatever his new project is, that is, he puts his full effort into it and it's fantastic and it's great. And then he loses interest and then everything falls to the wayside. But then his new project, whatever that is, that's amazing. Yeah. And then one, one more one more complaint. He creates these great villains and then he decides he likes them and he wants to redeem them. And, and I'm just like, dude, you had a good villain. I actually really fucking love what they did with Magenta's part in the Time Warp with uh like like diana agron argon mm, i don't know where that r goes <laughs> quinn when, when quinn sings magenta's part i love the way that she sings it i think it's really interesting um i think i'm really glad that she didn't just like copy patricia quinn's on that that version of time warp is kind of go-to um for the the time warp that she prefers which is fine i don't whichever one she wants is fine that is the only fucking thing about the glee rocky horror that i enjoyed the entire rest of it i was legitimately cringing throughout i don't know man like first off even the premise that there would be a high school production at the school of rocky horror is fucking weird and like weird to the point of like stupid and i know that the whole thing is supposed to be stupid because it's all a play for fucking schuster to get emma back um but like that sucks too. I don't know. Like it felt like Ryan Murphy was like, "Yeah, we're gonna do Rocky Horror, and it's gonna be great, and everybody's gonna love it because it's Rocky Horror." And it's like, "No, nah, man, you fucked this up. You could have just fucking waited for the college years to do this if you wanted to do that, and then pulled it off without all of this like character assassination." <laughs> but we didn't do that. We just went and fucked everybody up anyway, just to do Rocky Horror, or even just have the fucking kids go see Rocky Horror. You don't need to have Emma sing Touch Me just because she kind of looks like Susan Sarandon. Like, 
it's fine. We don't need to do that. Or just do the thing where you have a theme and you let her sing it and she's not even at the show. It's fine. You don't have to do Rocky Horror to sing the songs. Or a little theater. Yeah. A little theater. You know, wouldn't have been great. Here it is. Like Blaine, who knows who the fuck he is. And he's like, hey guys, do you know Rocky Horror? And Kurt's like, hmm. A little bit. Tell me more about it. And Rachel's like, what is that? And then they go and Rachel's like, oh, this isn't theater. And she's all pissy about it. And look, hire me, guys. <laughs> she's all pissy about it. And then they get her turned around and then she gets to do some song from the floor show. Come on. This would have been great. Way better episode, Ryan. What the fuck are you doing? I mean, something better than I am since you get paid to do this, I guess. But whatever. Awesome. So just... Do yourself a favor, watch the original. Just, you know, it's so good. Stick with the source material. If you see someone like Glee or them deciding to do a live showing of Rocky Horror during, you know, primetime hours, it's it's probably it's probably gonna leave a little bit of a disappointment. Just to skip you. to Adam Lambert. Yeah. He he was good. He was good. And the same thing too with like when they did the the rent showing. Like it just it was missing something when they did Rent Live. I think when you have shows like Rocky Horror or Rent, there's a certain like punk rockness that primetime TV just is not particularly interested in. So they're going to do a lot of this like stunt casting. So you get like Laverne Cox as Frankenfurter. Um, they're going to do a lot of really good casting like Adam Lambert as Meatloaf, Eddie. <laughs> But ultimately, the other thing that they're going to do is they're going to take out, is, is there's not going to be any surprises. In the original, you've got surprises that happened for them as they were making it. And then it just sort of like, you can feel that energy through the screen. But the, you, I, I think you're just going to lose some of that spontaneity. And also, when I listen to Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment, one of the things I think is, man, this really like this music really could have been better produced. Like you would have a full on wall of a beautiful sound if there was better production. At the same time, it almost feels like that lack of production helps add to something about this. Like you know that you're listening to something that a lot of people didn't want you to hear. And so when you get a big budget behind it and you get to have the good production, on these songs i'm not saying that you're losing something but the implicit permission certainly makes it feel less like you're making out in church if that makes sense yeah yeah you're missing the grittiness like it's cleaned up yeah it's safe now it's safe now exactly you know and, and i think that's the the difference is because and I remember, I remember this always on that VHS tape that I rented and I had, and they would talk about people that had been going to the midnight showings before it being released on video and just that, how it was a rite of passage and how you just were immediately embraced. And it was just a sense of community. Yeah. This, this was coming from the person that uh, shadow cast as Frank and I'm watching their watching him do Frank's makeup. And I'm just seventh grade. Me is just an awe as, as, as it's going on. 
Um, yeah, I, that's, that's, that segues into something that I wanted to talk about, which is like the community that comes with this movie. I think for a lot of people, I'm going to throw Donna under the bus for this one. Um, this is maybe the first and only foray that a lot of people get to sort of like not be repressed, to be weird. And I think that it's a really, um, I know that we just talked about making things not safe, but I'm going to talk about safe spaces now, but it's sort of a safe way for you to go embrace this wild and untamed thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I'm pretty proud of that one. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm proud of that one. That was good. (laughs) Um, Because you get to, you're going to go to this theater and you're going to have permission to wear something that you would never fucking wear. And you're going to get to yell and break all the fucking rules of a movie theater. We want you to yell at the screen, throw some shit. It's fine. And if you're not comfortable doing that, don't fucking worry about it because we have a script. We have a script and you'll know what to say and you'll know what to throw and you'll know when to do it. So, and it's funny because when I was talking to this, talking about this with my partner, he was so annoyed. He was like, it's like all the normies can go be weird. And I was like, no, no, no. I know that you're annoyed by it, but look at it. It's great because all like all these people who did not know that any of this was an option get to go and be welcomed in and embraced and shown this is how you can do it. This is how here are the rules. Here's the etiquette for this. So it's an incredibly safe way to like let loose. No, I mean, Cutter is 100% correct on on all counts. Like, yes, it was my first foray into that sort of thing. And yes, it is somewhat structured. But also, it's like we're opening the door and like here is the safe path into this. And also, it is a safe way to start venturing off that path. Like, okay, you can walk in here dressed in fishnet and high heels and then you can start wearing makeup and you could start trying that corset and then you can start maybe varying that outfit and try something else and you know maybe wear a dress if you're a dude and you know it it provides you a safe entryway into trying some things that maybe you would never have felt safe trying before so yes i agree it is structured but it's also you know the opposite of gatekeeping it is an escort it's an open gate it is an open gate yes so what you're saying donna is there's a light over (laughs) at the frankenstein place There's a light. That's my lighter. <laughs> For the listening audience, Donna is holding her thumb up. There's a light. Stop me. I'm not comfortable singing. <laughs> you are not comfortable singing, but yet the Rocky Horror Picture Show has made you do it on the cast. And even though I'm talking, you are not stopping. Exactly. <laughs> talking about the singing. I think I got that line wrong. I'm sorry. That's all right. It's okay, Donna. Yeah, it's fine. Nobody minds. There's a light. It's fine. This is an accepting place. Talking about the singing, as uh, as I was watching this on Friday night, I literally sang every song 
Like I was hoarse when I was done and I yelled at the screen because there are things that I still remember that will forever be in my brain that you yell at the screen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see. For instance, what's your favorite color? Magenta. What's your favorite smoke? Columbia. Oh, see, I, I've heard the what's your favorite color, but where do you get your drugs? Columbia. Okay. I've heard that's the one. <laughs> or what's your favorite high protein drink? Come. <laughs> There's no law against giving yourself to over to absolute pleasure. There is in Oklahoma. I'm sure there is. That's my favorite line. (laughs) What does Captain Kirk say to his chief engineer? Hey, Scotty. (laughs) Toilet paper. That just makes me laugh so hard. Or magenta. Master, dinner is prepared and I helped. Oh, I'm sorry. Master, dinner is prepared. And then the audience response. And I helped. See, that's so ingrained in my brain. I just ran them together. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so... We bought this on Blu-ray and that was really interesting because I realized I'd never seen it on anything but VHS. And so we're watching it and it gets to that dinner scene and my partner goes, oh, she's wearing a lot less than I realized. (laughs) (laughs) Which one? The magenta. Oh, okay. Um, And I was like, oh, she's not wearing a lot, but in the lower fidelity it's really hard to tell what's going on with some of the co- the costumes. Like uh-huh. I think I was, despite having watched it for 10 years, I think I was 15 or 16 before I realized there were nipple slips. Yeah. yeah like when Columbia yanks her See, I saw it on the big screen. So when Columbia yanks her, her pajama top down, there it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I saw it only on TV and sometimes very small TVs and for a long time, just on like broadcast television. So that was shit that you just literally couldn't see. Oh, I got to tell you in that scene, one of my favorite set of lines is um, when Frank says, that's a very tender subject. One of my favorite set of lines is I forget which order it is. I think it's Brad who puts his fork down first and the audience goes, Brad gets it. And basically, whichever order it is that people stop eating or get up to leave, you start going, Columbia gets it, Janet gets it, Dr. Scott gets it. So as people start reacting, the audience starts yelling about who got it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't get that pun until this most recent viewing. Yeah, that's a very tender subject. It's interesting. I always find movies like Rocky Horror interesting to like sit down and actually rewatch because I've watched it a lot. Like, I don't think that there's ever been a year that I haven't watched Rocky Horror at least once. But like, there's definitely a difference between like putting it on and watching it. And so this was the first time I had watched it in, I don't know, man, probably a decade. I just, Adrian, I so desperately want to take you to an in-theater viewing because um you know for forever that was my only experience of it was an in-theater viewing and it was a couple decades before I just sat and watched it in my living room and so that was a very different experience for me so I really wish you could experience it in a theater with an audience and people yelling at the screen and throwing toast and rice. Well, actually, I don't think people actually do throw rice anymore because theaters are like, could you not? 
but um, I just wish you could experience it. Donna, for strictly research purposes here, when you were shadow playing as Magenta, was this in the mid 80s and in the Oklahoma City Norman area? Yeah. Okay, so I'm willing to bet my Uncle Kevin has seen you shadow cast as Magenta because he did do the full Rocky Horror experience, like seeing it in the theaters and all of that. I had the little black dress. I had the white apron, the high heat, and I did not have a wig, so I just had the blonde frizzy hair. Yep. I mean, I think that works. Yeah, yeah. So... Outside of the hair not being quite the right color, I had it. Yeah. I spent a lot of my teenage years watching this movie going, that's not magenta, that's red. I have looked up a thing about Richard O'Brien that I find really troubling. Um, I'll start with, I found a picture of him at 70, and he does not look significantly different. I mean, damn, that man has aged well. And in his own words... That's remarkable. <laughs> he says, I should be dead. I've had an excessive lifestyle. Uh, so he looks great for 70. Now, he mentions that he had a stroke. Um, he said he was speaking in tongues and his wife had to call an ambulance. It was a little stroke. He's had to um, give up sitting on the back porch, drinking wine and smoking pot all day. Now, he talks about how he had to... He started shaving his scalp in the mid-70s in response to the wear and tear from a series of dye jobs. Does he shave his body hair too? He says, as it happens, yes, it feminizes the body. All shaving is feminizing. Okay, so anyway, I'm going to skip over some of this. Rocky Horror, yeah. Vincent Price was in the audience, yeah. Everybody was in the audience of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh Apparently Mick Jagger wanted to play Rocky, uh, Frankenfurter, but... They turned down a bigger budget by not stunt casting popular rock stars. But there's an alternate timeline, I guess, where probably Mick Jagger and David Bowie are in this. Okay. He says something about how Rocky Horror contributed to the discussion of gender and sexuality. I mean, obviously. He says it helped him too. He says being transgender is a nightmare for many people. I'm very lucky that I'm in showbiz where I could be this eccentric person and therefore it's allowed. His openness and inclusivity made it surprising when he remarked in 2016 that a trans woman can't be a woman. Yikes. You could be a, an idea of a woman. Yikes. It felt like an inflexible statement from the man who in Rocky Horror preached the ultimate message of empowerment and, so, and self-actualization. Uh, he went on to say, you and I have to be very careful here. Actually, does he still hold that view? You and I have to be very careful here. We've seen what's been happening with J.K. Rowling. Yeah, because she's a transphobe. That was my comment. Um, I think anyone who decides to take the huge step with a sex change deserves encouragement and a thumbs up as long as they're happy and fulfilled. I applaud them to my very last day, but you can't ever become a natural woman. I think that's probably where Rowling is coming from. That's as far as I'm going to go because people get upset. If I have an opinion that doesn't line up with theirs, they think I'm being mean-spirited. I don't want that as all. He came out as transgender comparatively recently, saying at the time, I believe myself probably to be about 70% male, 30% female. I think of myself as a third sex, and it makes things easier. So I'm very sad about that. I think people get mixed up between biological sex and sexual identity and it, it really frustrates me that people say harmful things like this, especially when they themselves have non 
binary sexual identity. So I'm very frustrated that this person who is so important to these communities holds this. Adrian? (laughs) (laughs) I think that this is a really, really sticky subject and any part of what I'm going to say can definitely be taken out of context. And this is really my biggest fear of doing a podcast ever um, because I know I say some real dodgy stuff out of context. (laughs) But I think that it's really, really easy to look at the previous generations of the queer community and see their failings without giving the proper respect to what they did to get us to the point where we can be even close to where we, like even remotely open about anything that we are. Absolutely. And I think that being transgender is really fucking difficult to understand or pinpoint. Um, And I also, when I first came out as trans, it was a really long time ago. It was like 10 years ago. And the response that I got then was really fucking bad. Um, Because like, I don't know, anybody who knows me, uh, knows how much I enjoy glitter and unicorns. And this was a fucking problem to the trans community at the time, because basically what I was told at the time was that I wasn't trans enough because I still liked glitter and unicorns and I still wanted to paint my nails and wear eyeliner. And that made me not trans. And I fucking believed them for a very long time. And it wasn't until very recently that I was like kind of able to get over that initial reaction that I got from the people that were supposed to be like welcoming me in. And so I think that there are people like Richard O'Brien and I'm going to throw RuPaul in here too, who are less interested in a gender binary than they are fucking gender norms entirely. And I, for one, I'm a little bit for that. I would prefer worlds in which we didn't have to deal with the binary at all. And, you know, for my doctors and such, I don't get a third option. Like it is either I am trans and my ultimate goal is to be man, to be read as man 100%. But if I'm honest, that's not my ultimate goal. I want to be <laughs> like, I, I prefer the androgyny and the uncertainty um, because that's really more how I feel, but I have to make a choice and that sucks. And so I think that there are probably a lot of people like Richard O'Brien who have not been a part of the current trans culture, or maybe they have, and it was bad for them too. <laughs> um that all they really know is I don't feel, I don't identify with what I've been told I am, but I will never be that. I don't feel like a woman. Like, I don't feel like a man. I don't feel like a woman. I don't feel like either one of these things. Why are we fighting about this? I'm never going to be a woman, whatever. And um, it's just really complicated, guys. It's really complicated. And what Donna said is 100% right. Like gender and sex are not the same thing. I think that there's also a big breakdown in communication between like one of the things that you quoted Richard O'Brien on was the natural woman thing. And I think what he's meaning to say, and I could be giving him too much credit. I don't know, but I think what he's meaning to say or trying to say 
is also something that jk rowling has tried to say and i do not want to fucking like back her at all in this let's be clear she can fuck off i do not care i only buy like pirated harry potter shit because i'm not giving that cunt any money whoa <laughs> yeah you bitch. said that and <laughs> i am with you <laughs> um, i didn't realize i had quite that much anger inside me but whatever um i think what he's trying to say is that there is a difference between growing up and being raised and socialized as a woman and growing up and being raised and socialized as a man and even if you transition you are never going to have had the experiences that somebody who is raised and socialized as a woman would have had and vice versa. Same goes for if you transition to male. And I think that that is a valid thing to say. And I think that that is something that is worth talking about and shouldn't be hidden. And in fact, it's one of the reasons that I don't have any interest in like passing or denying my old name. And I know that some people need to do this and I am not faulting those people at all, but like, my experiences having been raised and socialized as a woman are incredibly important to who I am today. And I feel like I would be entirely different if I had been raised and socialized as a man. And, and I can see a lot of these things in other trans people I know where it's like, oh yeah, here's a thing that you feel safe doing because you were raised and socialized as a man. So you never got that fear of walking alone in the dark instilled in you and things like that. Or even just like, you don't have any problems going and speaking and saying very clearly, this is bad. And I don't like it because nobody trained you to believe that you weren't allowed to say that. We have a trans woman friend who does not seem to be afraid of walking alone. And uh, something we have tried to explain to her is that, not only should you be afraid of walking alone in the dark, but you should be more afraid of walking yeah. alone in the dark <laughs> than we are. Um, please be careful. Yeah, we, we are scared for you even more than we are scared for ourselves. And I think that that is something that people are trying to get at, I think. I mean, again, I, I might be giving them too much credit. I don't know. But I think it's something that a lot of people don't seem to want to talk about because the idea of going stealth and passing is still very big. And a lot of that has to do with safety. You know, the reason that we are more afraid for our trans woman friend walking alone at night is because she's more likely to have a violent end to anything bad that happens to her or to be more roughly confronted. Man, this got real dark. <laughs> I, I, I want Kinsey to have an opportunity to comment on this. Yes. No, no, no. This is something I don't know about. I'm going to be very honest. I don't know about, and I am being a better ally is stepping aside and listening and letting those who do know speak and not raising my voice, trying to overspeak. I, so no, 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 it is Donna. I appreciate what you're doing, but this is something I I don't have experience with. And so I would much rather give the platform okay. to someone who does. I I would like to have a very special episode of Donna's Science Corner. Okay. Um, and I will start by saying that sex is not simple. Biological sex is not simple. Um, it's super complex, and I don't think we have the time to get into it, but I will just say that it is not so simple as XXXY, even just limiting to humans. I mean, 
when you get into other species, it gets vastly more complex than XX to XY. But I mean, you can just, you can just, even just the fact that the sex determining portion of XX, XY can sometimes transpose. And so you can have somebody who is XX, but they have that little bit of the XY chromosome that has transposed itself onto the X. It seems like people want to say that that totally makes it, but there's still intersex and there's gradients of intersex too, right? So if you have that little bit of the Y chromosome on an X chromosome, they can be XX and be what's called phenotypically uh, male. And phenotypically just means that when you look at them, that's what they, what you see. So if you've got, for instance, if you've got a chromosome for a brown, for brown eyes and a chromosome for blue eyes, brown eyes is dominant. So you're phenotypically brown eyed. So if you've got two X chromosomes, but you've got that little bit of a Y chromosome transposed onto your X, you're phenotypically male, even though you're XX. Okay. So sex is not simple biological sex is not simple. And then if you've got a hormonal imbalance, like something has happened somewhere and you're producing more testosterone, even if you're XX, you still may be phenotypically male because you're producing so much testosterone you developed into a male. So you still may be XX and phenotypically male, or you may be phenotypically, or you, you may be XY, but producing so much estrogen that you developed into a phenotypic female. Okay. So it's not that simple. I'm confused already. (laughs) That's fine. Actually, that's kind of my point. Um, So you can be genetically XXXY. You can be hormonally male, female. You can be phenotypically male, female. Okay. Then you can have your gender expression. Gender is an entirely different thing from sex. Gender and sex are not the same thing. Gender is a societally assigned thing. So that's where this all comes from. So what I hope when somebody like Richard O'Brien says natural woman, they are, like Connor says, referring to somebody who's been born assigned female at birth and then socialized as a woman. Okay. And yeah, if that's what he means, then if you transition into a woman, you will never have had those experiences. And yes, that's true. I will give him that. Now, for the very special part of this, I have suspected for a while that I'm actually kind of non-binary. So I, I think I might be coming out here. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think I'm especially interested in doing the work to change pronouns or change presentations. So I'm, I'm fine with she, her. I don't wear dresses and I don't wear high heels. And I would wear makeup if I remembered to wear makeup when I got ready in the morning. But I know I don't feel especially feminine. So I, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm completely coming out. I think I'm more like cracking the door open on the closet. So there, the door, the door is open. I think I'm still like standing on the threshold of the closet, but hi, I think I'm non-binary. Can I tell real quick yeah. a story about the moment that you realized this? Yes. <laughs> we were talking about Animal Crossing and I think Don and I were both playing Animal Crossing and she said, I wish I looked like that dragon. And, and Jay and I were like the, the boy dragon. Or the non-binary dragon, because we weren't sure if the dragon was a boy or a girl. And she goes, yeah. And we were like, Donna, Donna, I think this is a moment for you. Yeah, actually, I, I had described the dragon as I wish I looked like that little non-binary dragon. 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, because they are adorable and I love them. Flick. Flick, Flick is yeah. the little non-binary dragon. I just love like Animal Crossing, bringing people together. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a moment for me when I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Speaking of moments, when you said you always knew that you found women aesthetically pleasing earlier mm-hmm. today, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck. Because, <laughs> yes, I have always found women aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> How did I get this old before I had these realizations? How is this possible? Uh, as you've stated many times, you grew up Southern Baptist. And I think that's, and that's, and I'm just, that's my, there. Da, 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 the end. Yeah. <laughs> Donna, you look very serious. Like, is that the reason? <laughs> no, I'm more like trying to figure out how I go about getting with a woman when I say I, I don't actually know if I want to date you, but. You just be honest, I guess. Like, maybe we could hang out and cuddle? I don't know. Maybe we could cuddle. Do you want to cuddle? I cuddle with Kinsey all the time. And maybe I could touch your boob later? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if I actually want to, but maybe we could try? This is the kind of quality content I expect from a Rocky Horror episode. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but maybe I do. I don't know. I don't know what I want, but cuddle. We could cuddle. That's definitely. I definitely want to cuddle. Later, Donna, I'll teach you about asexuality. Is that a date that anybody would want to go on? A lot of people. Yeah. I'll go make a Tinder profile. (laughs) (laughs) Just be honest and be yourself. And hi, I this is me. I'm I might be, I might be bi. I don't know. I think I might be bi. And I think I might be in B. Hello. I don't know what the fuck I am. But I'm 100% dragon. (laughs) Yes, I'm a dragon. You know, (laughs) Ginger Snaps also gave us a very special episode, so I am not surprised that Rocky Horror has given us a very special episode. I was thinking about the Ginger Snaps episode, too. At some point, we should really just, like, pull together, like, if you would like to know way too fucking much about us. Here's the Ginger Snaps. Here's Rocky Horror. And whichever one we talked about, whether or not you should fuck dead things. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't fuck dead things. Fuck some dead things. Some dead things are okay to fuck. I think that's <laughs> kind of been a, like a running, like, just listen to like this time frame, you know, and this, these episodes here on the dump. <laughs> it's an ongoing conversation. It is. Someday, yeah. someday we will pull Donna to the side of fuck some dead things. Someday yeah. Donna's going to be like, you know what? I get it now. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying now. I'm pretty sure you get diseases from dead things. We need to find a movie. I think there is actually The Dead Woman. I think that's a movie about that. Anyway, uh, we need to find a movie in which there is some sort of undead dragon hybrid that's very hot, possibly played by Tessa Thompson. Yeah, that... that uh, the yeah. sound of that thud is yeah. me having killed Donna. Hollywood, and, hire me. I'm available. God. Damn it. And if you throw in Oscar Isaac, Pedro Pascal in this film as well, Donna is. We can't lose. This is, it will, it will just rain money. Rain money. (laughs) I might pay you to let me make this movie. Damn it. (laughs) I don't have a lot. I've got like $25 in my Starbucks account. Will you work for Starbucks? I would. I I would. I, I have worked for Starbucks. No, I mean actual Starbucks, not the company. <laughs> oh, I mean, don't I already? <laughs> Fair. 
there. All right. So rule, poll, and quote time. So I have the hat trick this time. So our rule is, which we've kind of talked about it a little bit, is don't dream it, be it. I love that quote. That quote right there got me through some really dark times, honestly. I have the hiccups. I think it's that line that O'Brien talks about. He was looking through like a magazine ad of like growing up and it was lingerie or bras, unmentions, whatever. And that was the caption of don't dream it, be it. And like that stuck with stuck with them. I always the once again, the weird, the random things that fill my my brain. (laughs) It's fine. All right. Our quote, which there's a lot of them, gang. Just seriously, the whole movie is quotable and singable. It's great. It's true. Our quote comes from Frank, and it's it's not easy having a good time. Even even smiling makes my face ache. Poor Frank. And finally, our poll is, the first time you saw Rocky Horror Picture Show, what was the song that made you fall in love with it? Um. This is such a really hard question for me to answer because, as I mentioned, I was really into the soundtrack before I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I know um, the song that really kind of gives me life from this um, um, soundtrack is um, Rose Tint My World. Rose Tint My World is a great one. Um, Time Warp, Sweet Transvestite are great ones. Um, I think I think the song I rock out to the most though is uh, "Hot Patootie." Um, the first time I saw it, I mean, God damn, sweet transvestite, woo, man. So I guess I guess I give you two answers. No, Hot no, no, that is "Hot Patootie" and "Sweet Transvestite." That is okay. That is there's nothing wrong with two answers on this. Uh, for me, so my favorite song, it, it has, it evolves as, as I've gotten older, but the song that made me fall in love with it, the show it was over at the Frankenstein place, like not even like a banger, but just, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so haunting and it's so hopeful and yep. Uh, now a, not this last watch, but the watch before They've got on the Blu-ray, they've got the UK version of this, which includes the superhero song. And I want to say as well as Brad's other cut song. I can't remember the name of it, but I really like the superhero song too. Like mm-hmm. that's another one that's just haunting. Um, so yeah, but yeah, over at the Frankenstein place, that's my, you know, not saying that time warp isn't great. Sweet transvestite is fantastic. Hot patootie, but man, that's that's what hooked me uh in a rare aligning of the stars over at the frankenstein place i think is also probably now i don't really remember because i was very very young but i know that um for a large portion of my depressive teenage years i was very into darkly hopeful songs and over at the frankenstein place was definitely a big one um I meant to talk about something else in this movie. Can I talk about it real quick? I want to real quick, just talk about some of the top notch acting that was present in this film. Um, 
in in specific like, like i could i mean you know fucking tim curry is killing it 100 percent throughout this whole thing um little nell is just a plus like the chemistry between little nell and tim curry is amazing like you can tell you can really tell that they were like in the cast the, they are so in sync with everything it's so good susan sarandon is never not amazing um i mean just honestly everybody is legitimately a really good actor in this film but i really specifically want to call out two scenes and the first one is uh touch me with just the chemistry between susan sarandon and the peter hinwood rocky rocky um is just really fantastic like the way that he blushes and smiles and looks away, I'm like, bro, me too. Me too. If like, <laughs> if Susan Sarandon put my hands on her boobs, a hundred percent that face you made. Um, it's just, it's really good. And like, I feel like he may have gone on to hate this movie. And I think that's a fucking shame because I think he did a really, really good job with what's honestly a really complicated character to be like, buddy you're essentially like a sex doll and you killed it you you brought like humanity and life to this character and then the other scene that i really want to call out is barry bostwick in the floor show like his character is so good he's so good and and brad is the one that lets us know that they are to some extent being controlled and like the way that he shakes and the look on his face, the way that he moves and you can tell that he's being forced to dance. It's so good. He looks kind of confused. Uh-huh. Um, and th- there's every, every goddamn time I watch this movie, I have this moment where I'm observing that Barry Bostwick is rocking those high heels. And he is. Rocky his kick is about up to his ankle, maybe mid shin. Rocky he's, is he's struggling okay. with those heels. Rocky is having a hard time with those heels. And it just, it just amuses me in kind of a sad and sympathetic way for poor, poor Peter. He's trying, he's, he's trying. Yeah. You can tell that he is having trouble though, uh, in the way that he walks in those heels, but you know, um, dude, me too. Me too in heels. I have trouble in my sneakers, honestly. So the heels are a hard no for me. If you guys ever do drag me out to a Rocky Horror Show and I dress up, I can assure you I will be wearing whatever it is you want me to wear and fucking Converse. So wear wear your jeans and a hoodie. You'll be fine. You'll be accepted (laughs) because a Rocky Horror crowd is a remarkably accepting crowd. Well, wonderful. Um, That's all I wanted to say. Unless it's changed in the decades since i've been i mean i'm sure that there's some like fucked up gatekeepers like the one that i met in high school but um i think overall the message of the film is very much one of acceptance so i think that if you are a fan of this movie and you find yourself not being accepting you should shut the fuck up yeah yes i agree Thank you, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate your support. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, we're kicking into spooky season. So next week, we're going to be talking about Scream. So if you want to watch ahead, go for it. It'll be great. As always, thank you to our editor, Billy, for making us sound fantastic. We appreciate you. And smart. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs>
and uh, we're on social media we're on instagram at beyond cabin we're on twitter at beyond cabin we're beyond the cabin in the woods.com we've got a facebook page also beyond the cabin in the woods you can find me on twitter or instagram at calista 77 i'm at dragon goblin uh there's no i in goblin i'm on twitter at junkyard poet all right well thank you guys so much and don't read the letter you know what horror is Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.